0: How are you doing: I so appreciate Alfredo's heart for Lisbon and Portugal for treating the poor with dignity and respect, for finding many of them their issues really have to do with the family, their longings for love and for acceptance. Well, we have a similar heart for our city here, and we're seeking to take back those surrendered themselves to the enemy, taking back ground for God. Uh, yesterday, um, a beautiful event happened in Middletown. The Francine run the 5K in honor of Angela Phillips' sister. I love seeing many of you there. I love seeing the community coming together and the children dancing and laughing. I love having a good time. I love getting acquainted and reacquainted with people. Um, it's called a walk run. So Debbie took the run side of things. I took the walk side of things. Debbie finished in 33 minutes, me in 52 minutes with Tim Phillips. There's kind of three people in the kind of race. There's the fast, there's the slow, and then there's Tim and I, you know, greeting people as we went along really beautiful event happened as Debbie came across the finish line. There was a person who had helped her in the past when she'd had surgery and uh, helped her be restored, a physical therapist, and she was actually giving massages. So Debbie got a chance to give her story and how much rejoicing was at that massage table as the person who had had surgery to help her to walk now was running in this event. It gave me great joy. Yesterday I was also downtown with Debbie for a little while, and. Uh, for St. Patrick's Day downtown, a phenomenon we saw happening called pub crawling. Patrons awakening at an early hour, starting their pilgrimage at the Green Turtle, drinking one or two beers, then kind of landing at La Paz, where we happen to be eating uh, guacamole and chips and drinking iced teas and fish tacos, then kind of going up the street to the Griffs and then making their way to uh, Firestones and Bushwallers. I don't know what kind of shape they were when it got to Firestones and Bushwellers, but let me report to you about the pub, the pub crawlers at 2 p.m. at La Paz. They weren't in great shape. One of the uh, pub crawlers cried out from his position, If I don't get a beer soon, I'm going to die. Hmm. The pub crawlers were dressed in green hats, green t-shirts. They were loud, obnoxious, inappropriate. I can't even say publicly what they had on their (laughs) T-shirts. But all I can think back was, 30 years ago, I was a pub crawler. And uh, God delivered me. I think about the drunkenness being a symptom of a deeper pain in their life. They they long for Jesus. They need to know Jesus. So really, the, the call of our church is to love people into the kingdom, that someday they'll be in heaven with him, You see, heaven is our final destination. I'm going to talk to you about heaven for a moment. You know, when I think about heaven, I think about the goodness of God, this great place that God has prepared for us. You know, I sometimes have good things to eat, like mangoes, and I enjoy a good mango. And when I think about a good mango, I think about the goodness of God, about how good God is to have given us this good pleasure. And then I think about heaven, And how many mangoes will be in heaven? The trees with mangoes on them, you know, lining the streets of heaven and enjoying this forever, the wedding supper of the Lamb, to be in God's presence forever. Well, you probably have some images of heaven in your own mind. To a basketball fan, heaven is the month of March, otherwise known as March Madness. Sitting with the remote in your hand, seeing games go down to the wire, seeing some underdog teams win like Lehigh over Duke. That was pretty sweet. Heaven is, um, heaven for some is like March Madness. I think for some it's hell, but for some it's heaven. To a golfer, an image of heaven may be like Monterey Peninsula, Pebble Beach, teeing off in the early morning hours, seeing the sun rise over the Pacific, teeing off perfect tees, hitting the ball on the perfect fairways, landing on perfect greens, no divots, no ball marks being with people you love to be with, finishing the day with the sun setting over the Pacific. That would be heaven, to sun. To a fisherman, an image of heaven may be a rippling stream, rising in the early morning hours, dawning your waders, casting your fly into the rushing mountain stream, getting a hit with every cast, pulling in a trout fish, and pulling in another trout fish, and pulling in another trout fish, and, you know, they're this big, right? To a mom, an image of heaven may be not to wake up early in the morning, (laughs) heading down to the beach, 44 ounces of iced tea, the warm sun kissing your face, the roar of the waves in the background, being with people you love to be with, getting cooled down by the ocean water. Heaven's going to be pretty sweet. We're told to rejoice that our names are written in heaven. We're told that we're citizens of heaven. We're told to store up treasures in heaven. So if heaven is our final destination and the place we invite people to go to, shouldn't we get acquainted with heaven? So this morning we're going to take a look, a real good look, at heaven from John's perspective. If you have a Bible, you can open up to John, the fourth chapter. And for this part, I'd like you just to close your eyes for a moment. Now, some of you are weary, so I don't want you falling asleep on me. But I want you to close your eyes for just a moment and I want you to, in your mind's eye, with your sanctified imagination, just kind of go there with me, okay? I'm going to read it to you, Revelation 4. I want you to close your eyes and just picture in your mind what John is writing about here. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open to heaven, and a voice I just heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white, And had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center, around the throne, were the four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third had the face of a man, and the fourth was flying like an eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever they lay their crowns before the throne and say you are worthy our god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things And by your will they were created and have their being. Come on back. What a beautiful, beautiful scene. The throne of God, Him who sits on the throne, that which encircles the throne, that which happens about the throne, before the throne, and those who are seated beside Him. So we ask the question who is on the throne? Let me ask you that question as we begin. Who is on the throne of your life? Who is sitting on the throne? If my life is about me, if my life is about my will, if my life is about my desires, I am seated on the throne. If my life is all about keeping other people happy with me, they are on the throne. I live to keep them happy. Their expectations, their Demands. I do everything to keep them from being disappointed. I am a slave to them. Who is on the throne of your life? The scripture teaches us that the Father is on the throne, and seated beside him is Jesus seated on the throne. For whoever is on the throne is vested with authority and majesty and sovereignty. The throne room is the fixed center of the universe. The throne room is the immovable point of reference. That just as the North Star to a navigator is the fixed point of reference, so to the believer, the throne room of God represents the place of authority, the center of God's rulership. So who do you believe is on the throne? Sometimes in our lives, we feel as if life is quite out of control. And we really do question the sovereignty of God being on the throne. You see, in the sovereignty of God, God permitted us to make choices. We have freedom. We can live as if God is on the throne, finding rest. Or we can live as if we are on the throne, as if God doesn't exist, feeling worry and panic. Did you know that God is on the throne? That God is vested with Full authority, majesty, and sovereignty. I think about the uh, Hayford song, that majesty, kingdom authority, flow from his throne unto his own. What has caused you to doubt that God is seated on the throne? When a person is handed an unexpected diagnosis regarding their health, we cry out, Jesus, are you on the throne? And the answer we hear is, yes, I am on the throne. I am fully aware of the situation. I have all the wisdom you need to deal with this. I have all the strength to give you to get through this. I have the power to heal you, and I can give you hope. When a person is handed an unexpected termination of a job, we cry out, Jesus, are you on the throne? And we hear, yes, I am on the throne. I am fully aware of the situation. I am your provider. You may need to learn to trust me in ways you've never trusted me before. But I can open doors that no man can shut. And I can shut doors that no man can can open. I can open and close doors for you. And I can give you the wisdom as to which doors to walk through. When a loved one is crippled by a terrible auto accident, we can cry out, Jesus, are you on the throne? And the answer is yes, I am on the throne. I am fully aware of the situation. I wasn't taking a nap when this happened. I wasn't dealing with something else. I was on the scene using the EMTs to pull you out. I was in the ER giving the PAs and nurses the skills to take care of you. I will show you the pathway to recovery because I am good. And when you shake your angry fist at me, I will never stop loving you because I am on the throne. And when a spouse leaves for another person, or just leaves to get some space, we cry out, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, are you on the throne? Jesus, are you in control? So let's have a real good look at him who sits upon the throne. The third verse says that, He had the appearance of two beautiful stones, of Jasper and Cornelius. Jasper is the most brilliant of all the precious stones. Jasper is the diamond. Jasper has the ability to capture light and radiate. You see, diamonds are graded on the degree of their purity. When a young man loves his young woman, he gives to her a diamond. And God is so brilliant and so radiant. To be in his presence like Moses was in his presence, he began to radiate himself. God himself has the appearance of brilliance like a diamond. Our God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And the second of the stones reflected in the appearance of God is the ruby stone. This is of the blood of Jesus that was shed on our behalf, a reminder. In the Old Testament, the high priest went once a year into the most holy place to sprinkle the blood of the Lamb on the mercy seat to give atonement for sin. He wore a breastplate on his chest. And wouldn't you know that on the breastplate the high priest wore, the first stone was jasper, the diamond, and the last stone was the ruby. It was as if God was saying, I carry you on my heart, And the thing you need to know about him who sits upon the throne is he's very tender, and he's extremely affectionate, and he's very fond of you, and he carries you on his heart. And you know that when you've carried somebody on your heart, how fond you are of them. When you see the very appearance of God, it will appear as if it's a brilliant diamond and a blood-red ruby to remind you of his affection for you. And who is on the throne? Surrounding this throne is a rainbow, a rainbow-like emerald. I've seen the waters that seemed emerald. I've seen the mountains and grass that appeared to be emerald. Emerald is the color of earth. When's the first time the rainbow appeared, do you know? It was after the flood, when God gave it as a sign of his covenant to Noah. Noah was told to build an ark because judgment was coming. Although Noah had never seen rain, he'd never seen a large ship, he'd never seen a large body of water, he obeyed God and he built an ark. He worked on that ark for 120 years, day in and day out. And then God invited him on board with all the animals. And I can imagine Noah standing in the doorway to the ark, saying to the people of his generation, come to safety, come and find refuge. The rain is coming. The floods are coming. The judgment of God is coming. I can just see Noah pleading with his generation. There is a refuge. There is a safe place. Come on board with me. And I can see the people of his generation laughing in his face. You see, they believe that because judgment hadn't come, judgment wasn't coming. And then the door of the ark was closed. And the rains fell from the heavens, and the springs broke loose from underneath, and the earth was covered with water. For a year, Noah was in that little ark, with the animals staying safe. And then the ark rested itself on a place we know as Mount Ararat. But there still was a question in Noah's mind about the future. Because every time he'd hear the thunder, and see the cloud in the sky, and feel the rain, He must have wondered, Will judgment be coming upon me for my sin? So God said to him, I will set a rainbow in the skies, in the clouds, and there will be a sign of a covenant between me and you. I will never again flood the earth with water. God himself made a covenant. And so the rainbow emerald around the throne of God is symbolic of God's covenant he made with you. As God made covenant with Noah, so God has made new covenant with you through the cross. The cross is a sign of his covenant, that God will not bring judgment upon his own. And from that very throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne were seven lamps blazing. These are the seven spirits... Of God, The rumblings, the peelings, the lightning speaks to the power of God. And before the very throne of God are seven lamps that are blazing, the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold spirit ministry. We're speaking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present there. You see, one of the powerful works of the Holy Spirit is he first of all brings to us a conviction of sin. And then what happens is we believe in Jesus who saves us from the wrath to come. And the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to be holy. And increasingly, as you yield your life to God, he gives you the power to be holy. You see, the Holy Spirit is the intense, purifying fire of God who burns away anything and everything that is not pleasing to God. And there before the throne is a sea that is calm, It was Jesus who made the stormy sea calm. He said, quiet, be still. You see, there was a storm outside of his boat, but there was also a storm inside his disciples' heart. Jesus himself in the midst of the storm was resting while the disciples were stressing. Jesus was doing some snoring while the waves were uh, roaring. (laughs) You see, Jesus was calm in the midst of the storm. And there before the throne of God is a sea that is calm. It's a beautiful depiction of the throne room of God. And what surrounds the throne room of God? Verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold upon their head. The white robe symbolized the righteousness that God has conveyed to them. The crown signified the rewards they received for their service rendered upon this earth, the sacrifices they had done. The fact they're seated on thrones says the saints of God will be ruling and reigning with God. And around the very throne of God were 24 other thrones, 24. Most believe these symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, the people of God of the Old Testament and New? Could it be that John, who saw this vision, saw a throne with himself seated upon? The Apostle Paul says that you've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. There's an authority that's been conveyed to you as a believer. We've been clothed with a robe of righteousness. And those who withstand the trials of this life, those who persevere, will receive the very crown of life. Paul, at the end of his life, he said these words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the future for me, there's a crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself, being righteous, will convey to me. But not only to me, but all those who've longed for his appearing. A friend of mine was riding on an airplane. And as he rode on this airplane... There was a child who was beside him, was very, very fussy. So he spent the uh, entire journey interacting, engaging this child, finding things for the child to draw with, uh, giving up his drink for the child. And the the waitress came by, the stewardess came by, and she said, You've been so kind to this little one. (laughs) I guess this will be a jewel in your crown forever. And he said to the stewardess, he says, So you believe in a God who gives crowns? And she said, yes, I do. You see, the crowns are conveyed to those who are faithful for the service and sacrifice they have rendered unto him. We'll pick up the crown in just a moment. And what surrounds this fairy throne? Verse 7, do you see it? The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. <laughs> the third was like the face of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. These creatures that surround the throne of God, the guardians of God, it seems like a sci-fi movie, doesn't it? It looks like a Steven Spielberg film. But on closer examination, we see these guardians of God's throne room live in absolute piety and devotion. They never cease to worship him who's seated upon the throne. You see, the lion speaks to power, and the ox speaks to patience, and a man speaks to intelligence. And an eagle speaks to swiftness. A lion is the king of the wild beast. You know, hear the lion roar. And an ox. Jesus spoke about oxes. The ox is the king of the domesticated animals. And the man is the king of the created order. And the eagle is the king of all the winged creatures. And a lion is connected with the gospel of Matthew. And an ox is connected with the gospel of Mark, which we're going to study in a couple of weeks. And a man is connected to Luke, to humanity. And an eagle is connected to the Gospel of John, to deity. The Gospel of Matthew describes Jesus as a lion, the king. The Gospel of Mark describes Jesus as a servant, like an ox. The Gospel of Luke speaks to Jesus being a man, a humanity. And the Gospel of John speaks to Jesus being deity, like an eagle. It's a beautiful picture of them that surround the throne. And aren't you interested what these creatures are saying before the very throne room of God? Verse 8. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is, and who is to come. The four living creatures never tire of saying, and God never tires of hearing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. Holiness, more than any other attribute, describes the very essence of God. To be holy is to be clean, to be undefiled, to be unpolluted. So the requirement to be in God's presence is to be without sin. But that raises a huge question, doesn't it? If God is holy, and he is, if God is without sin, and I have sin, if God is clean, and I have done things to make me unclean, if God is undefiled, and I have done things to defile myself, if God is unpolluted, and I have polluted myself with this world, How can I, how can you ever be in the presence of a holy God? God being righteous knew we had not kept his standard. God being holy knew we broke every rule in his book. But God who is holy and God who is righteous is a God who is also merciful, He's a God who's also full of grace. You see, the only requirement to receive the grace of God is to know that we need the grace of God. Is to ask God for some of the grace that only He can provide to us. And whenever these living creatures give glory and thanks to Him who sits upon the throne, the living creatures before the throne of God give glory to Him who is seated on the throne. These living creatures created by God are giving God glory. Him who is the Most High, they're giving Him the highest praise. God inhabits the praises of His creatures. They are ever before the throne of God, giving praise to Him who sits upon the throne forever and ever. You see, you are a human being made by God to give to God glory. The sun, when the sun shines shines to the glory of God. And the bird, when the bird sings, sings to the glory of God. And the fish, when the fish swims, swims to the glory of God. And when you fulfill your created purpose, you are living to the glory of God. One of the church fathers, Irenaeus, he said, a man fully alive lives to the glory of God. We are here, not upon this earth, to live for our own glory, for our own fame, but to live for his glory, to make him famous, to give to God the praise he deserves. And that's what happens when his body begins to praise him. We give him the glory that he deserves. And the living creatures before the throne, they give honor to him who is seated upon the throne. The living creatures acknowledge the greatness of God, that God is greater than they are, they accede honor to him who is seated upon the throne. When we stand in the presence of someone who is greater than us, we give to them honor. We call them the honorable one. And the living creatures in the presence of him who deserves all this honor, they give honor to him seated upon the throne. And the living creatures before the throne, they're giving thanks to him seated upon the throne. Pride is something we won't see in heaven because God is opposed to the proud, but God gives grace unto the humble. A friend of mine, his name is Joe. Joe moved his family down to Florida, and he moved into a tiny house in a new subdivision. And most of the state of Florida, as you may know, is really like sand, more like a sand dune or a sand trap. It's amazing so much beautiful things grow in Florida because there's so much sand down there. Well, Joe's backyard was no exception, and someone had given Joe a refrigerator, so he went to pick up the uh, refrigerator on his day off. Joe was feeling pretty young and virile, so he picked up the refrigerator, and he kind of manhandled the refrigerator onto his truck. Then he pulled the truck to his back porch door, and he kind of wrestled that refrigerator off the truck, up the steps, and he set that refrigerator in his new kitchen. And at that very moment, Joe felt like he had dominated the appliance world. Joe felt like he was like the strongest man ever. Joe, Joe got back into his truck, fired it up, hit the accelerator, and all he could hear was the tires beginning to spin. For those of you who live in Florida you know what I'm talking about. The f- tires began to spin. So Joe got out of his truck and started looking at the situation and said, I can fix my problem the tires are stuck in the sand. I'll put some debris underneath the tires and now they'll have some traction. So he went back in the truck, he fired it up, he hit the accelerator and now the tires are really spinning. And what happened was his back tires sunk all the way down into the sand. So he said, I can fix my problem. But everything he did to fix his problem, nothing worked. Everything he did made the problem worse. He was hopelessly stuck. There was nothing he could do to help himself. But Joe had a neighbor whose name was Stan. Stan had been watching the whole deal go down. He said, Joe, do you need some help? Joe said, no, I'm good. I can handle it. His tires were stuck in the sand. His tires were going nowhere. Joe was hopelessly, helplessly stuck. When Stan made his offer to Joe, he was holding on to something. What was Joe holding on to? His pride. God is opposed to the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. You see, Stan came along with his pickup truck and a chain, and he pulled Joe out. You see, Joe wasn't just needing help. Joe was needing a savior. He was needing salvation. He was hopeless, and he was helpless, and the good news is God had sent a savior. You see, if Stan had charged him 100 bucks, he could have um, salvaged some of his pride. But that he pulled him out for free well, that's just downright grace. <laughs> There's only one thing in the, in the entire universe that will pull the weed of pride from your soil, and that is the grace of God. And some of you find yourself in a situation this morning hopelessly stuck, and you're pressing on the accelerator, and your tires are really spin it and you're sinking those tires deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and the vehicle isn't moving. And what you really need is a breakthrough. You need to understand your own brokenness because when we understand our brokenness, that's where the breakthrough happens. You see, our brokenness is cracks in our life that allows the grace of God to come into our life. And when the grace of God begins to pour into your life, all you can do then is render thanks to God for his deliverance is there just one that can testify this day that God delivered you out of something? That you were living in some despair, and God delivered you out of despair. You were living under the power of an addiction, and God set you free from that addiction. You were living in a hopeless state, and God delivered you. You see, the living creatures before the throne of God They're giving praise and honor and glory and thanks to him who's seated upon the throne. And the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him forever and ever. (laughs) And they lay their crowns before the throne. Remember the crown? The crown was God's gift to them for their service rendered unto him. But now in the presence of the king, imagine yourself in the very presence of the king, and there is the one who took the nails in his hands for you. There is the one whose brow has been creased from the the thorns on his crown. There is the one with the gash in his side. There is the one who looks with love upon you, who provided salvation for your soul. And there in the midst of heaven... What the saints do is they cast their crowns at his very feet. There upon the glassy sea, the saints of God cast their crowns. Because he is worthy of all their praise, he is worthy of all their worship. And what they say then is, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, to receive honor, to receive power. For you created all things, you are the Creator. And by your will, they are created and have their being. God created the vast universe, the billions upon billions of galaxies, our Milky Way being the very smallest of them all. And we look up into the heavens and we see the very fingerprints of God. But there in his presence, when we see him face to face, we will say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things and gave all things their being. God himself who has being has created us in his likeness and image that we have a being. It is with our being that we praise him from the soul. And what God is looking for from his people is some praise. So let's give him some praise that God deserves. Let me ask you point blank. Who is on the throne of your life? Have you enthroned Jesus Christ as the king of your life? Are you sitting on the throne of your own life, directing yourself by your own desires, by your own will, according to your own ambition? Are you allowing somebody else to dominate you? Some of you sit in situations where you have a boss who's trying to dominate you, telling you what to do, micromanage you, trying to be in control. Some of you are trying to live to keep everybody happy in your life. People making demands and expectations upon you. Who are you living your life for? Who is really on the throne of heaven? If God is on the throne, let us enthrone him in our hearts. Let's give him the praise and the glory and the honor he deserves. Let's worship him. Pray with me, would you please? So here we are, Lord, in your very presence. And we've seen this picture of heaven with words that are so very hard to even describe. John is trying to record for us a picture of that which you allowed him the Spirit to see. And God, this day, we've been imagining and picturing this place, this throne room, this throne where you sit and the brilliance of your presence and the stones. The, the precious ruby stone that reminds us of the blood that Jesus shed for us. We see this picture of your people around the throne giving you praise and worship and honor. So God, is the least we can do is to lift up a chorus of praise to your name, is to give you some glory and honor this day, to declare that you are God And that you are above all things. That you are the most high God. And you are sovereign and reigning and ruling over the universe. You rule over the nations. You rule over our lives. So many times we've questioned who really sits upon the throne. So God, this very week, this very day, we declare that you are God upon the throne. That you have all sovereignty and authority and power and compassion and mercy and grace to give to your people. And like my friend Joe, who found himself stuck, so many find themselves now stuck, just spinning their wheels, making no forward movement. Maybe the movement of their soul you're asking them to make is to acknowledge you, King, to enthrone you upon their hearts, to believe you took their place upon a cross <laughs> and to give you some praise and honor on this very day. Father, this is a worship service and we're here to worship you. Receive the worship from our hearts as we praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we give praise to him who sits upon the cross.